At one point I was kind of disappointed with the whole art thing and the system and the institutional stuff. So I kind of decided to, to quit. What happens when a successful artist suddenly loses patience with the system they're part of? It could mark the end of a career or the beginning of a personal crisis. But the Norwegian artist Matthias Fellbagen found a way to channel his frustrations through literature. My writing became like, I guess, like a ventilation for my frustrations. What I found in writing, uh, which is like, at least for me, like a pretty solitary practice, is this process of creating a, a world like I did when I was drawing. I'm Pike Malinowski and you're listening to the Louisiana Literature Podcast. Feldbagen has since returned to the visual arts and is now a critically acclaimed writer and artist. When he visited the Louisiana Literature Festival in 2019, he talked about his fascination with vandalism, shamelessly stealing and sampling from writers without crediting them, and approaching literature through the lens of a writing artist. I came to writing through making art. Uh, I'm educated an artist. Um, I had my like ambition uh, as being a visual artist, but I still had like a surplus of ideas and motivations and stuff, and that sort of forced itself through in writing. So I actually kind of had my debut in Norway as a writer before I even started exhibiting, but I always considered myself. Uh, being an artist. And then through writing I was sort of invited back into visual arts because these art types, they wanted to see what kind of art this writer made, you know. There was a lot of thematics that I was interested in while studying art and stuff like that. Uh, but as soon as I understood what kind of institutional system this was, uh, it didn't seem like the right place. It seemed like a you know, in my youthful mind then, like a, some kind of charade or something. But there were themes and thematics and I was interested and uh, I sort of just fictionalized or made a narrative out of a bunch of ideas that I had. And that became my, my first novel. So it was actually like, a, it was a little bit like a take on my frustrations of uh, being on the art, art scene, but it was also sort of bigger than that. It's, was about building characters and sort of drawing up some kind of world. And I guess what, what I found in writing, uh, which is like, at least for me, like a pretty solitary uh, practice, um, is this process of creating a world like I did when I was drawing. Because I came, I came to visual arts through, through um, drawing and making pictures sort of with my hands. And I guess writing was a bit similar and I could sit alone and do that and just build up something from nothing, you know. I've been talking sometimes about how to decide whether an idea should become literature or, or visual art and back in the day I thought the divide was, was very clear and very easy. I thought like this is clearly verbal, this is clearly visual. Uh, but throughout the years and, and now by picking up writing again after like a 10 year break, I actually, and I'm trying to drill into this problematic, I, I think that uh, it's actually, if you really think about it, it's really hard to decide whether an idea is 
is like a visual or a verbal spark. It's very often very, very similar. And I can't really, in many cases, I can't really divide it anymore. There's like an element of, of vandalism, quote unquote, in my, in my works. Um, I guess they are describing, I mean, they're seemingly aggressive and violent and stuff, but I always said that vandalism is, is kind of the, the posture of the, of the weak. You know, it's, it's a, an act of desperation and it's sort of a, um, a furthering or a handing down of another violence. So it's, uh, it's, it's an aggressive and powerful answer given by someone in a, in a weak position. This is a recurring theme for me. I think if you look at my earlier books, which were like hectic and violent and just straight out provocative and stuff like that, they, um, they were always about trying to uh, localize the antagonist or trying to answer what is antagonism. And um, I think this is a theme that has run throughout my whole practice and it's it still does. So even though my latest book is, is calmer and seemingly more bourgeois in a way, it still t has this theme of the antagonist, you know. Um, it's all about droning around in this grand European cafe trying to find, find out who's actually the antagonist in this, in this situation. What I learned from the art scene is that you can take whatever anything in your surroundings and, and make it into art. So I have like no scruples with, with bringing anything in. And I kind of uh, brought this credo also into writing. So I'm very often copying, stealing text, sampling, just stealing from other writers and putting it into my own text and not crediting uh, the authors. So people who are aware or I mean close readers, they will find tons of other text in my, baked into my text and just stolen. Like eight, 10 years ago, I made a series of smaller texts that were based on my um, Google searches, uh, just the words that you had been searching. And uh, one day when I was not sort of aware of having searched for images and stuff like that all day, I, um, I looked at this list of search words and they, and it looked like some kind of uh, poem, I guess, some kind of concrete poem. And I, and I printed it, and I, I thought that this is actually a, a perfect poem for me, for because it's just me unconsciously going through lists of words that I want to see as pictures, actually. So um, yeah, that became my series of search poems. Back in 2008, I think I made a, um, a work called Book Sculpture. Um, and it was simply me going into Dijkman's library in, in Oslo and tearing out uh, the books from two long shelves and leaving them on the, on the floor. Um, this was done in co cooperation with the library, so it was a very controlled kind of vandalism, but it wasn't, it wasn't stated as being a sculpture. So people came in uh, to the library and they could still borrow the books in the in the piles so they could dig through the piles so it was actually just like a rearranging of uh, of the library uh, system i'd seen quite a lot of pictures of libraries after fires or disasters and stuff like that and 
uh, I always found that when books are thrown on the floor or books are falling out of the shelves, it's um, it's actually a very iconic or sort of deep image of, of a, like a system collapse. Um, it has a very physical uh, element to it. Um, people don't like to see books out of order. Uh, so I actually wanted to take this feeling and, and recreate it as sculptural presence. I did uh, a sculpture of a of, um, tanker uh, in Miami once and it's uh, it's not any tanker it's um, it's the tanker from Steven Spielberg's debut movie called Duel if you have seen that one uh, it's his first film it was made for television and then it became popular and it, it was more like a, like a drive-in sort of uh, film. Uh, the movie is about a, a guy who, who drives to work and for some reason a tanker start, starts following him and it's and the whole movie is just him trying to get away but he can't get away. Um, so I've been interested, uh, interested in this movie. Uh, I researched it. I found out that there's like a, a, a truck driver and a truck collector in North Carolina who owned the last surviving of the tankers that I used filming this this movie. I called him up. He said he could rent it, rent it out. He had an even bigger truck that he put the truck on top of and drove down to, to Miami. And we rolled it out in the park like this and it was standing there as a, as a sculpture for a week. Um, my interest in this was sculptural, of course. I wanted to to thematize, you know, the, the object as a, as a villain, in a, in a way. Um, and the theme of transport, transportation, circulation has, has also been a, a thing that I've been dealing with. So this Spielberg tanker kind of gathered a lot of threads in my work thematically. It was also the first, one of the first movies I can remember seeing. and totally the first horror movie. And this had to be the late 70s, maybe. Uh, there was no VCRs and stuff like that. So, but my friend's dad, he was a truck driver and he had like a 16 millimeter projector and he had this movie. So he projected it on his living room wall and it made a huge impression of, on me. And it, it was probably one of my first sort of uh, artistic experiences. So when I found this truck in in the States, it was a no-brainer. I also wanted to see it myself. I mean, a truck that's part like horror villain, part sculpture and part celebrity. I mean, it's a celebrity truck. Um, my plan for the for a work or a book uh, is different from how a work or a book is being perceived. I can't control uh, my work in the, in the receptive area. Um, I go, go through with my plan. I'm always being surprised as I go. So the works are never ending up uh, in the way I decided, even though my principles can be pretty strict. And the reception is another story. I can, I can never control that. So that's, it's just up for grabs, I guess. It's hard to look at one's own work from the, from the outside and, and try to see just neutrally how would I react to a work like this if I was, if I was presented for it and never having seen it before.
that's almost impossible. But you can sort of look up your own work uh, after a few years and, and maybe get a clearer idea of how this was uh, coming ac uh, across. Because when you make the work, you're very, very invested in, in it. You know you're literally knee-deep in, in plaster and, and concrete and metal or, you know, editing or copy editing and stuff like that. And you're kind of blind. So what I do is that I sort of trust, I have to trust the first impulse I have to make the work. If I get an idea at one time and this idea sort of blasts away all other ideas and I think within the first 10 minutes I'm going to go for this, then it's probably some kind of uh, something in there worth taking taking care of and worth building out and worth going through the the effort of, of making the work. Questions like um, arts function in society, uh, I feel often they tend to become too big and uh, I'm sort of trying when I make art or write myself I'm trying to focus on the stuff in front of me and then if I, I guess if I think if I do that well, then the bigger things will take care of themselves. Um, I don't have a program for how my work is supposed to work. I only know that art and writing has been important for me. You know, the stuff that has come my way has, has really yeah, been important for me and shaped my life. And um, if I can do something like that the other way, I mean, that's, that's it, I guess. Matthias Fellbagen visited the Louisiana Literature Festival in 2019, where he was interviewed by Klaus Rothstein. The interview was produced and edited by Roxanne Bergeschirn-Lerkesen. Original music for this podcast is made by Bob Pounding. Associate producer is Esther Kongstel. You can watch and listen to hundreds of other interviews with great writers and artists from all over the world at the Louisiana Channel. That's channel.louisiana.dk. I'm Pike Malinowski. Thanks for listening. <laughs>